Um, if you want to follow, um, I think it's. Uh, I looked in the Bible and I didn't bring my glasses. I reckon it's page one one oh seven. It isn't. What is it? One oh nine seven. Can you pray for me? Uh, actually, in the Acts of the Apostles, people do get healed of stuff. So you can pray for me. I'm going to pray now. Lord, thank you so much for gathering us here around your word. And the promise is that when your word is faithfully proclaimed, that it doesn't return empty and accomplishes all of your purposes. And I just claim that for us all this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're allowed to use the name of Jesus in this church. By the way, something extraordinary is happening in the Acts of the Apostles. Just get this. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go past Charles here and see my shadow cast over him. And something's going to happen. That's exactly what was happening in the Acts of the Apostles just before uh, the passage that we've had spoken to us to see. How about that? People clamoring um, to get near the Apostles because they were proclaiming the good news and folks were getting healed. People were coming to faith and they were getting set free. But alongside this, with the blessings also came opposition and persecution. Some wanted to silence these gospel messengers. Um, I feel a bit of a fraud. I don't think you got healed there under my shadow, did you? And when we talk about persecution uh, in the church... I must admit that on the scale of things, I'm not sure that my, the sort of persecution that I've had even sort of touches the Richter scale. So I thought it was more authentic uh, to invite someone uh, who works for Christian Solidarity Worldwide to come forward and to share. And I suppose the question is uh, for Bill, who many of us will know, uh, he's also a church warden, works for Christian Solidarity Worldwide. But it's really just to share a story of folks uh, faithfully proclaiming the gospel and it not ending up so well for them. Thank you. Um, uh, the, the sad thing is that there are so many uh, stories that I could share. Uh, I was spot for choice. Um, uh, I'm sure that, that, that Matt, who's sitting over there, who also worked for CSW, could tell you uh, lots of stories about the countries that, that he works on. And, and, and do meet um, Umberto, who's just passing through, through London for a few days. He, he works in Latin America and could tell you what's happening in Cuba. But um, the story I want to share is, is, is about China. Uh, Ch- China is a country where... Um, because of, of, of what the authorities are trying to do. The, the, the clock for Christians has been turned back almost 40 years. And I'll just tell you very briefly about one particular church. It's called the Early Rain Church. And they, they, they've been standing up against the, the, the authorities for the last 12 months. And as a result, in December uh, last year, uh, 100 people from that church were arrested, including the lead pastor and his wife. And the lead pastor was accused of inciting subversion, which is the, the Chinese authorities' way of saying, you're not doing what we're telling you to do. Uh, pastor Wang Yi is, is still in prison. He's not been charged with anything. Um, he's been there for seven months. His, his wife was there for six months. 
uh, only just been released. Um, uh, she wasn't charged with anything. For six months, she was completely incommunicado. Nobody knew where she was, wasn't able to speak to her. And that's just a very, very brief picture of, of what's happening to uh, many churches in China. And it's happening all across the world. Uh, Umberto and I were just chatting about um, a pastor, Pastor Ramon, in, in Cuba. And again, it's, it's husband and wife who've been arrested. And they are, they are still there after three months. Uh, and I think they've been sentenced to t two years imprisonment, uh, ultimately just for homeschooling their kids, again, standing up against the Cuban authorities. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough stuff. Okay. Mm. So when we hear that, how does it make us feel? It's like quite heavy, isn't it? Um, and I think one way of what they would crave, I imagine, is is our prayers at the very Absolutely, least yes. and, and the advocacy that Christian Solidarity Worldwide give and it does have an impact. So, so it's word and prayer and action and maybe we just do a quick prayer now before I continue. So Lord, um, Lord, we can't compare our lives with theirs but we do share the same saviour and the same hope we do believe in the same God who um, wasn't kept in the grave but is our resurrected and ascended Lord. We do believe in the same God, um, the God of the Acts of the Apostles where folks were released from prison. And we cry out to you now for those that have been mentioned and others, Lord, that you would deliver them. And in the meantime, Lord, that you would be with them in Jesus' name. Amen. Bill, thank you. So to our passage, Acts 5, verse 17, on page what? We all know where we are, apart from me. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy... They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail for what they'd been witnessing. Jealousy is a massive trap uh, for any of us, actually, and it can provoke some ungodly and um, at times even extreme behaviors. And just for the passage this evening, there's loads going on there. I wrote myself a little prayer which is going to be a refrain that goes all the way through that for me sort of sums up some of what's in the passage. So here's the prayer. Bear in mind it's just after Pentecost when they're doing these things. So, Holy Spirit, empower us to remain faithful to God's call to share Jesus, come what may. Holy Spirit, empower us to remain faithful to God's call to share Jesus, come what may. I'll repeat that. I'm going to look at the passage under three broad headings. Firstly, engaging with the call of God. Secondly, demonstrating a passion for God. And thirdly, enjoying the favor of God. So call, passion and favor. Firstly, engaging the call of God. Um, I'm sure there's some... Um, Shakespeare geniuses round here. I'm not at all. I nearly got kicked out of the class. But here it goes uh, from Hamlet. 
to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer uh, that, that slings and arrows of misfortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles by opposing them to die. And my, I didn't do that very well, but that's the best I can do. Uh, my Acts 5 spin on this, to preach or not to preach, that is the question. Whether it is wiser to be silent or nobler to embrace the call of God, taking Jesus' powerful name to our lips and by opposing the temple's teaching, dare to suffer and even die. The apostles had been commissioned by God to preach the gospel to all nations. Faced with this question and challenge, they had chosen to preach when it would have been tempting not to preach. The apostles were banned from using the name of Jesus in their preaching. Without this, I think, the gospel is impotent. It has no substance or value. We read in Acts 4, if you want to look, verse 7, uh, the, it's... Um, They've been disturbed by the apostles' teaching and healings. And the religious authorities, um, verse 7, had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And they say this, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and been asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Verse 18, the religious, religious leaders commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, really cool, really brave, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. I just pray that that would be increasingly true for me. Um, when it comes to using the name of Jesus, I think from a very young age, um, I'm not saying I was indoctrinated, but I was well brung up by my, dragged up by my parents. But we, we didn't use the name of Jesus as a swear word in our family. And um, it used to really bug me, and I wasn't a practicing Christian at the time, but it still bugged me when I heard other people doing that. Does it affect anyone else in that way? I've got, I've got a couple little tips later on, maybe, if that... But um, Jesus isn't a swear word. What I didn't get is just how much power there is as well in the name of Jesus. So we use the name of Jesus and we use his name wisely. Acts chapter 5. When the apostles were released from prison at night by an angel, they were also recommissioned to, verse 20, go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. Verse 28, 
history repeating itself. The chief priest gives strict orders not to teach in this name. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. Very practically, what are the areas of your life that you need to be commissioned or recommissioned? It might not be exactly the same call, but what are the areas of your life that you need to be commissioned or recommissioned by God? I think, and it's not just me, that the fear of man can be the graveyard of the gospel. The fear of man can be the graveyard of the gospel. Uh, When we deal with fear, and this is quite hard, we get fearful about all sorts of things. But I was chatting to Sarah, who's going to have this barbecue for this congregation at their house. But she reckons uh, that one way of confronting fear is to physically do something about it. So it's... um, so if you're fearful about something and, and your behavior p- proves that you've done something about it, then you can refer back to your behavior rather than sort of point to your fears. But I think when it comes to sharing the gospel or speaking in the name of Jesus, we could try it, couldn't we? It goes like this. It's Jesus. And um, that's not a swear word. Um, but it's tough to get that out, isn't it, sometimes? Just simple things. Anyway, that might not be the fear. I think I've made the point. Um, um, we're called um, to use the name of Jesus appropriately. We're invited to pray in the name of Jesus. And I want to um, put this challenge to you. When you hear the name of Jesus abused, um, it could prompt conversations, but maybe see it as an opportunity and a trigger to prayer. I mean, the trigger sometimes in me is sort of condemnation, if you like, if I hear that. But people don't know any different. If they've not met Jesus as their saviour, his name is a swear word. Not to everyone, but to some people. But there you go. If you hear it in future, make that be a trigger for prayer. And maybe some of you at time, if there is time, it could also trigger a conversation. Oh, when people say that, that sort of really hurts me. And I don't know what might... flow out of the conversation. We pray, Holy Spirit, empower us to remain faithful to God's call to share Jesus, come what may. The second point, demonstrating a passion for God. Godly passion is a gift and a consequence of them being convinced about the truth of the message and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can't just be confident about the gospel because we feel like it. We need God's help. Godly passion sustains us in the most difficult times of trial, um, especially if you feel called to doing what you're doing. Now, that doesn't make it easy. When miraculously released from prison... They don't hide away, but remain faithful to their calling to share Jesus. Went straight to the temple, the most sensitive and potentially volatile place that they could go to preach the gospel. And when confronted, they didn't kowtow and say, sorry, we're out of here. But they said, verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. Their punchy preaching 
includes some old and some new teachings about God. So verse 30, the God of our ancestors, this is God the Father, he's addressing them as if it's our God, so that's something they have in common, raised Jesus, God the Son, this is where it gets a bit tricky from the dead, they're not liking that, and they're not liking this even more, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross, God exalted him, on his, to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness and, f- and forgive their sins. We are witness of these things so that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I didn't read that quite right. We're witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Are they being foolish, reckless, irresponsible in being so direct? It sort of reads like that, unless you're called to do it, of course. We're in a culture uh, where we're counselled not to be too confrontational. Some of you might have been on skills training in your workplaces for that sort of thing. Um, In the leadership contest for the Conservative Party, you wouldn't say that Boris, directly to his face, is a compulsive liar or untrustworthy. You might say, instead, that we need a Prime Minister that is trustworthy and speaks the truth. Faced with the same, uh, with the question Acts 5, if you're a lawyer in... Uh, 2019 Britain, without a lot of proof or liability insurance, it's unlikely that you would say, you killed Jesus. You might say, we have reason to suspect that your actions may have resulted in Jesus' untimely death or something, I don't know. But again, we're not very direct. Maybe we shouldn't be, but this is full-on direct. When reading Acts 5, regardless of how uh, we frame our language as well, we might be in danger of thinking that the responsibility of Jesus' death rests solely with the religious leaders at the time. Uh, Let me put it to you, even though we weren't born at the time, because we're all sinners, it's better to conclude that we're all culpable with them for Jesus' death, that we too killed Jesus. Given the miraculous unfolding of events, the apostles must have felt invincible and had nothing to lose. If you've just had a miraculous jailbreak, if you've just met an angel who's given you clear instructions about what to do, If you're so passionate about Jesus and the truth of his death and resurrection, if you're so convinced that your hearers desperately needed to come to a place of repentance in order to receive eternal life, if you're so passionate about your call from God that you'd risk persecution and death in order to deliver the full message of new life that the angel of the Lord had commissioned you with, then it seems that you might be compelled to do what they did. Their passion, 
seems to bring them a liberty to speak truth to power. Could we ask God to help us to be more focused and faithful and courageous and maybe to take possibly small but significant steps to face into and overcome our fears? Pray with me, Holy Spirit, empower us to remain faithful to God's call to share Jesus, come what may. So we've had engaging with the call of God, demonstrating a passion for God, and thirdly, enjoying, enjoying the favour of God. Verses uh, 21 to 24, the, the guards uh, and religious authorities were shocked to find the jailbreak, the favour of God was manifest in a couple of significant ways. It came in the shape of at uh, the shape and the message of the angel. And it came through the wisdom and persuasion of Gamaliel, a respected leader of the Jewish faith. The apostles were in a special season of favour and um, we know some of the end of the story. It didn't always um, happen like that. And all bar one, I think, came to a very bad end. So they were enjoying favor at that time. And maybe we know the favor and protection of God from time to time. But some of the stories we've been hearing from CSW, like faithful people, are still waiting to be released. Is God's favour on them or not? I would suggest that he is, but obviously differently at the moment. Sharing a message of life that Jesus has power to save people from their sins. They were released. The favour was on them to do that specific task. Their teaching was a challenge to the religious authorities and many wanted to put them to death. Wise intervention was necessary from Gamaliel. And I just like to say, be wise about who you contend with. Now, I've got a little short video clip. It's not very good quality. And if you don't listen carefully from the start, you'll completely miss it. Okay? So we need... No. Let's start again. Again, this is the USS Montana requesting that you immediately divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Over. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. This is Captain Hancock. You will divert your course. Over. Negative, Captain. I'm not moving anything. Change your course. Over. So, this is the USS Montana, the second largest vessel in the North Atlantic fleet. You will change course 15 degrees north, or I will be forced to take measures to ensure the safety of this ship. Over! This is the lighthouse, mate. It's your call. Hello? Do I have to explain that a little bit? Just in case you didn't maybe hear it, they're having this sort of conversation. A ship 
with what they thought was another HMS ship. And one was the lighthouse. Um, And I think it's a pretty good illustration, if you like, if you're on a collision course, as Gamaliel was thinking with the will of God. And God ain't budging. And his will and his purposes will triumph. And repentance gets us to a place where we turn and we divert our course from coming against God's judgment and receiving his mercy. Verse 38, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, this is Gamaliel speaking, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. If their message is not from God, it'll come to a bad end. If it is from God, we're foolish to get in the way. I think it's an important lesson for all of us when we're considering God's guidance. I don't really know how you apply that in your life at the moment. Um, I don't know. Most of us spend quite a bit of time in London at sort of traffic lights, don't we? Maybe that's a useful thing. But if God says stop, we'd be pretty stupid to go through the red light. And the question is how you discern that. And sometimes there's a brick wall in the way of where we think God's calling. And we're not to crash into the wall. Sometimes, just sometimes, God will find us a different way round it. Maybe the call sometimes is, is sort of orange or amber and it is to, is to wait. And some of you are trying to discern the call of God in your life and you feel as though you've been waiting forever. I think most of us in most things in daily living, we're working off green and we're hoping we're getting it just about right, walking in partnership with God and just from time to time, Maybe he'll sort of redirect our course with a nudge here and nudge there. Other times it's really, really clear it's a green light because in church we've been praying about something and several people are coming to the same conclusion. And when that happens, you go for things really uh, confidently. Verse 14, Gamaliel's speech persuaded the religious leaders. They called the apostles in. Well, they weren't that persuaded. Um, they sort of had a bit of... Um, they flogged them, didn't they? Nice. And then ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. How about... I'm not quite getting this, okay? Left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I'm not going to do a show, show of hands here of folks that... Um, that's true of your lives but who knows it it might be our enthusiasm easily wears off if it's not aligned to a godly cause this sort of rejoicing and joy is not dependent on circumstances but flows out of our relationship with God some will find it both challenging and compelling that they rejoice for being counted worthy of suffering for the name May the joy of the Lord be our strength, whatever the circumstances. And again, my refrain, we pray, Holy Spirit, empower us to remain faithful to God's call to share Jesus, come what may. 
What's your week been like? What's your next week looking like? Your next month, your next year? Are you expecting God to guide you? Often we're meeting deadlines, facing challenges, getting feedback. It can be positive or negative. Um, Some people making extra demands on an already full life. Some of you might be fortunate to have things that have been encouraging and worth celebrating. And my question is, where is God in all of this? Most of us have had to deal with nothing in the league of what the apostles have gone through, suffering disgrace for the name. I've been puzzling about what I suffer and risk for being faithful to the name of Jesus. Maybe my list wouldn't be very impressive. I've been challenged this week about the power of personal witness and the call for all of us to embody our Jesus-shaped faith in everyday opportunities that present themselves. I've been reminded this week about the power of faithful gospel preaching. There's salvation and power in the name of Jesus. Last week I was in my former church and it was reopening after a reordering project and, and I thought, well, how do I encourage the bishop? You don't normally think it's a bit presumptuous to do that. I said this is a bit presumptuous, but I'd, I think you need to know that um, he's a scholar in Islamic preaching as well as a bishop. And he was the archbishop's advisor on it. And I thought he'd be a bit wishy-washy when he sort of spoke about this in other people's company. But what was amazing about Bishop Toby, whether he's in front of Muslims or whoever, he speaks out the name of Jesus. I just didn't think he would. I don't know why. But I thought he needed to know that that was impressive. Because you can be so bright and clever and not wanting to upset people that you can skirt around the issue. I've been convicted this week to pray and act, to create godly strategies um, for all people, young and old, men and women, so that they can encounter Jesus. We want to get better at doing this at Holy Trinity Claygate. And not only that they find Jesus, but they feel embraced by his church and become enthusiastic participants in his cause and I want to close with the words of the apostles in verse 29 we must obey God rather than man and my prayer we pray Holy Spirit empower us to remain faithful to God's call to share Jesus come what may Amen